Welcome to the Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. Larry is the author of over 40 books, the founder of Dove International, a worldwide family of churches and ministries in six continents, and has over 50 years of leadership experience. He and his guests will share inspirational leadership insights from their journey with God. These insights, gleaned from serving leaders in many nations, will transform your life and leadership. For more information on Larry's books and resources, visit LarryKreider.com. Hello, Larry Kreider here for the Larry Kreider Leadership Podcast, and I have this wonderful opportunity to meet so many leaders as I travel literally millions of miles around the world, and I get all these leadership insights, and I want to share these with you, with everyone who's joined us today from around the world. I am honored today to be sitting in this room with Ibrahim and Diana Mondi from Nairobi, Kenya. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Larry. Thank you very much, Larry. Great. It's good we're to gonna be here. Have, we're gonna have fun today because you've been my friends for many, many, many years. I think Ibrahim, we met when we were probably twenty nine or thirty, and that's a long time. We'll say how long ago that was. <laughs> that was a really long time ago. And just watch your lives in leadership, and how one of you coming from America, the other coming from Kenya, and living in Kenya all these years, and and God using you in so many amazing ways. Just, just so you know, for all of you that are listening today. Ibram Dandamande have been involved in church planning now for since 1989 in the country of Kenya, literally hundreds of churches, and now nations like Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Congo, Mozambique, Mozambique and Tanzania, and who knows where else. And uh, you guys learn so much about leadership in that realm, but also in Europe, you've trained teachers in Montessori School, Diana, I mean, so many leadership lessons. And even you've been involved with the government, helping rewrite the Constitution. I mean, mm-hmm. all kinds of things that I've never yes. gotten near. It's amazing to me. <laughs> so let's just talk about your early journey a bit, if we could. Mm-hmm. And we'll just talk about how, what you learned about leadership from, from day one. So what was it like growing up, Ibram in Kenya and Diane in in Ohio? Or I guess we're in different yes. parts of the U.S., but yes. it's Ohio mainly. Yes, yes, okay. Yes. So talk to us, what was it like growing up, and then how did, how did you actually come, come to Christ? Just give, it, give us that, please. Well, that's going to take a while. Well, I grew up in a family of about 10 children, wow. and a very poor family, as it was those days. And it was not easy, Larry, uh, when you have 10 children trying to get something to eat, right. and a father who doesn't make very much money. Right. Mother who knows how to cook, but she has to get something to cook. It became a bit rough uh, growing up as a child. Uh, So being a second boy, I began to feel very early on that I needed to find a way to help my family. But it was fun playing with other kids, taking care of animals, uh, being a hearts boy and going to school, coming back home. That was fun, riding my bike to school, yeah. uh, living in a farm area, and uh, just enjoying the nice African weather. Uh, it was There were a lot of fun moments, creating our own toys. Nobody, we, we couldn't afford to buy right. any toys, so we made our own toys. Yeah, and, I remember, Ibram, yeah. visiting the home you grew up in yeah. many, many years ago. And I uh, just thought, well, this is amazing how God, you know, you were birthed in that area and how God has used you now in the nations from that time. Yeah. So tell us more. Yeah, and, you know, just going to school was 
my father was a school teacher, right. so right. I, I was I had school at home and school yeah. in school. But those days they believed in using the cane, you know, the stick. To, yeah, I do know what that means. <laughs> so my parents believed in that too, for what it's worth. So you you know you got that at school and you got it at home. Yeah. <laughs> the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see. Because your dad was the teacher, so you got it two ways. Yeah. So that was not very easy to grow up into that, and he really wanted me to turn out good. Sure. So he probably used a stick on me well. more than other kids, but it was okay. <laughs> well, I remember you were telling me once that your parents were affected by the what's called the East African Revival. Yeah. And what was that? Because it's, it's the longest-going revival, I think, in history that yes. I know of. Yes. But how did that happen? How did that affect you? So, so well, of course, growing up in this African village, uh, and my parents did know the Lord before I was born. And then the revival hit. Uh, yeah. So you have these people coming from Uganda, from Rwanda, wow. from all over Kenya. And you don't know their names. You just call them brothers and sisters. Sure, sure. And, and then, you know, there was these home visitations. And they would come to our home. When they came to our house, our home, they would bring food. And there would be like overnight stay. Uh, people just share the word and sing and cry and repent wow, their sins. Wow. And then find a banana leaves somewhere, spread it and sleep, you know, until it's the amazing. next thing. It's like you didn't mind as long as you had somewhere to lay your head. Sure, sure. <laughs> and you wake up in the morning, the same thing, just sharing the love of God. It was like Christ was coming the next day and people are just ready for him. Uh, it was so good. Wow. Uh, so, so it affected so, you as a young person, not just your parents. It did. At four years old, I, I have three salvations, you know, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. my first salvation was when I was four years old wow. uh, because of the, the revival movement. And I repented since, like uh, stealing sugar <laughs> from yeah, the cupboard sure. or drinking milk when I wasn't supposed to. And those were my cardinal sins then. <laughs> and, and later on at school, I realized that I had really led some strike. I wasn't a very good boy. Uh, and also began to feel like I had fallen away from God. Yeah. And during a school holiday, I went to a, a camp, a, re, a revival camp, and gave my life to the Lord, but was turned off by something there in the sense that they were praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And a lady sitting next to me started singing some Lua songs that were not according to me, the Holy Spirit. Right. And, and I said, Lua, your tribe. Right? My tribe, it, yeah. So I said, if this is the Holy Spirit, I think I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. So I left the camp kind of with a negative attitude, and my faith did not last uh, mm -hmm. even then. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't until 1970, when I had already gotten a job, had been employed, that I really gave my life to the Lord. And, it's so important that you yeah. share this because yeah. mm -hmm. so many people, they have an encounter with God mm -hmm. and they fall away and have another encounter with God and fall away. And it gives, it gives hope that, I mean, you get to a place where you give it all, Jesus becomes Lord, mm -hmm. and then the rest is history. And that's what happened to you. So tell us about that. So in, from 1917, when I realized, I mean, I had walked away from God, I'd done all these bad things and was very serious. I needed God so right. desperately. And then I had a big search now for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That was not very easy because there was this guy 
would come and pray in tongues and tell me to repeat his oh tongues. <laughs> and he just turned me off. Sure. Uh, I wasn't until on my own, kneeling by my bedside, late into the night, crying to God. And it was raining, I remember the night. And yeah. I found myself praying in tongues and feeling so good. I didn't want to stop. Sure. I, God met you. Morning powerful. came and I was still praying and just enjoying yeah. God's presence. And my life turned around, Larry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I want to hear more than what I have later, but Diane, let's go back to the USA. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how you grew up. Your dad was a pastor, right? Yes, yes. My father was a pastor in the Mennonite church. A Mennonite so pastor. Up, yes. This is amazing. I grew, was born in New York, but we moved to Ohio. And that's I grew up in northwestern Ohio, and the daughter of a pastor. And so I when did your I, life change? Well, I decided at some point that this was just a lot of phony talk. Sure. <laughs> I think as a, I don't know, probably before I was 10 years old. But when I was a senior in high school, I gave my life to the Lord. Beautiful. And things changed from there on. Okay. Okay. So here you are in, in USA. God, mm -hmm. God's got your life. God grabbed your life, Ibram, and mm -hmm. not in outside Nairobi, Kenya, not in Nairobi, mm -hmm. obviously, but mm -hmm. in another part of Kenya. And then tell us what happened next, because you eventually got to America the two of you have mm -hmm. met, talk about that. And, t and tell us briefly about you were involved in the revival yourself. Okay. You, 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 these wild, young Kenyans were doing amazing things. Just tell us about that a bit uh, as far as your background, and then we'll talk about how you came together and what you learned about leadership then. So when I received the Lord it's this third time, when I was very serious with God, yeah. um, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was a guy from USA. His name was T.L. Osborne. Yes training evangelists somewhere in Kisumu. I've heard, I heard him speak already. Yeah. I took time off work because I was already working for the Kenyan government as a prison officer. I took time off work to go to this evangelism training in Kisumu yes. and uh, listen to T.L. Osborne. And that night, I mean, he was talking about Africans going to China to, to, to preach the gospel, wow. going to all over the world. And he pointed, you over there, you're going to go to China. I believed he was pointing at me. Wow, <laughs> so that night, Larry, I didn't leave that stadium. I stayed there, cried all night. Mm. I didn't care where there were robbers going to come. Everybody left, but I was left mm. lying there crying to God. The work of God in your life. And things changed. I was preaching in the prisons, but it became like I would have crusades in the prison. Yeah. I would walk in there having prayed and fasted for four days without water. And I would see these criminals fall down and cry and Praise cry God. to God. Then I would go back uh, as two weeks later as the chaplain to allow me to speak again. This time to pray, to pray for them for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. And I didn't get a chance to pray. I talk about the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. Wow. And I was actually kicked out of one prison because it was no longer a prison. There was revival in the prison. Wow. <laughs> he said, Ibrahim, we want this to be a prison. You've changed it around. People People, these people Beautiful. are just having fun. So I was moved around, and I knew my time working with prisons was over. And how old were you in this? I was approximately about 22, 23. All right. This is right. Anyone who's young, anybody who's in your teens, in your 20s, mm -hmm. listen to this story. God was using Ibrahim mightily when he was young. Yeah. Didn't wait till you were 30 or 40 or 50. It is happening when you're young, mm -hmm. and you're seeing the move of God. Go ahead. Yes, so I began to pray. I, the reason I started working very young, actually I started working at 18. Yeah. And I, the reason I did 
that is because I needed to provide funds for my brothers and sisters sure. to go to school. Right. But I had an agreement with God and my mother that I would do that for a few years, help my brothers and sisters go to school, then I would go back to school. I Got needed it. to go to college. Yeah. So I started asking God, what do I, where can I go to school? I need to prepare for ministry since I'm already an evangelist. Yes. So when I was doing revival meetings in Zambia, uh, the, the University of Zambia was having a series of meetings in Zambia and going to the bush, the, the forest during the day to pray. God spoke to me. That was 1978, okay. April. God spoke to me and said, this is the time you are quitting your job. And I came back to Kenya, put in my resignation letter and got a scholarship to come to the U.S. in Beautiful. a Bible school in Ohio. The same year. That's amazing. So a real key to those literal leadership times for you. Mm -hmm. You're learning you need to seek God, you need to pray. Mm -hmm. And out of that would come, God would give revelation and dreams and visions, whatever would lead you in the next step. Yes. Okay. And then you came to Ohio, is that correct? I came to... Rosedale, Ohio, in a okay. Mennonite Bible school. Yes. I even didn't know it was a Mennonite school until I was there. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, yes, it's stories how I got the scholarship and even the air ticket. Yeah. But it was fun just being there, seeking God and meeting people. And what attracted me most with these Mennonites is their simplicity yes. and uh, purity. Uh, I saw a deep Christianity that I hadn't really witnessed back home because people did not just say it. They lived it. They it. it was yeah. practical. It was awesome. real. Yeah. And, and that really attracted me to, to the Mennonite community. No one I got married to a Mennonite lady here. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's hear Diane's next step of the journey. Talk to us about your next step of your journey. Well, we, I, was in, I went to college, Yes. Heston College and then Goshen. And Goshen is where we met. Um, Ibrahim had finished at Rosedale and had come to Goshen. And we were in the same um, student fellowship at Goshen College and got to know each other. So was this love at first sight? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> we were together in fellowship, and actually the love, that kind of love, <laughs> started when he was, um, when I had a meeting with him as a pastor because he was had spoken in our fellowship about missions. Okay. And I, he said, if you want to speak more, well, he didn't say that. I think he's, you know, he had an altar call and many people came forward and we were prayed for. But I'm the one who said, I want to talk more about this. So I went to him after the prayers and said, I want to talk more about missions. Okay. Can I have a meeting with you or can I, you know. So we went for coffee and one of those places where they keep filling your cup and keep filling your cup and keep filling your cup. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I drank coffee in those days or if I was drinking tea, but, but we just talked and talked and talked about missions. So I was just getting ready for going to the mission field, but apparently he was ticking off things on his list of what kind of woman he, God might be able to bring into his life or what kind of woman he was looking for. But that was still an innocent, I think it was still an innocent meeting. Sure. And it was months later than when we started to think, well, maybe we should do missions together. <laughs> so in those days, you were both involved in various kinds of leadership. You know, what did you learn about leadership in those days? We basically just um, getting, starting to get involved in leadership. Sure. For me, we were in leadership in Communion Fellowship, which was a campus yes. group and later became a church. But it was very much just, you know, getting familiar with what leadership means, getting right. familiar with how to influence people or how to take a role in, in ministry in particular. 
um, I don't know if there were a lot of lessons, except you just have to learn it by doing it, and you learn it as you go along, and exactly. just so, try this, try that. You know? Right, so what do you tell somebody who's young? They're teenagers, they're in their 20s, mm-hmm. maybe early 30s, and, and uh, they just want to obey Jesus and obey God, and what do you tell them to do in regards to preparing for leadership and giving leadership? I would say get involved, do what Good. you can. Good. Do, you know, if whatever role, whatever little opening, whatever <laughs> opportunity is there, yeah. do it. Go yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, just get started and do something. Be active. So how did you get yeah. to Africa? Did, was that a mission trip? The first time it was a mission trip, yes. Mm-hmm. And then that was and to then, Kenya. Right, right. We had a mission trip organized out of our fellowship there in, in Goshen. And then the next time we came to Africa was when we were married. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Because I remember Abram meeting you at a prayer meeting, and when our first church we had planted, mm-hmm. Dove, Dove Christian Fellowship had started, it was probably only six months into it, and you were looking for people, you small groups and cell groups and mm-hmm. their churches, and you sent some out there. A mutual friend mm-hmm. found out about us and came. We prayed together, and there's just this connection in the spirit that's lasted now. <laughs> All these is amazing, right. 40-some years, right. amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. And anything, we heard Diane's side of this whole story. Your side of the whole story, Ibram? Larry, training for me was by default in the sense that as a young revival movement person, young people just followed me. And and we went out and preached in schools, in high schools, uh, colleges, street corners, churches, anywhere. And I had a team of young people that were like my disciples, people that I prayed with. And those days, you know, it's we 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 didn't have spiritual fathers and mothers. Right. So we did some heretical things. Like I preached against marriage. You know, if you're seen, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> if you're really, really, really <laughs> yeah, in fire for God, you don't get married. You, you don't have time for that. Yeah. You know, there's well, no serious things. First Corinthians seven, like Paul kind of acted get, like that. Getting so. getting people saved, they are right. going to right. perish if we didn't get them right. on time. You know, yeah. what time? Where do you find this extravagance sure. of having a relationship? Right. So, so we went into that. No parenting, no no yeah. training, and it. But you know, we when I came to the Bible school, uh, I learned certain things about being transparent, being open, and yeah. and and walking in integrity in the Mennonite school. Sure. One of my professors, Richard Shawwater, oh, really yeah. impacted me as a man. spiritual father, a mentor. I learned quite a bit uh, during that time. And then going to Goshen, he handed me over to another Mennonite pastor, Mel Shetler, who also trained me and Excellent. equipped me in a Mennonite church. And then where we met with Diane at, at the, the communion fellowship and also having training, having people there. And I was one of the leaders. She was yep. the leader yep. too. And working with people, discipleship one-on-one was really been our life from, from way back then. Yeah. So basically you're saying you you found some spiritual fathers mm-hmm. who helped you in this journey, and that's mm-hmm. a real key to leadership, obviously, for all of us, yeah. especially someone who's younger. Yeah. And you knocked on some doors and got open some doors for key yeah. people who spoke into your life. Yes. Of good. course, later on, I met Larry Crider, who <laughs> we been friends forever. a really good spiritual father and well, learned a lot from him. He's a good mentor, a good trainer. We're pretty close to the same age. So I think we're kind of <laughs> brothers, really. You remind me how old I am, but you're catching up. One year, yeah, but... Well, let, let's talk more about, okay, you get married, uh, talk about that, and then some things you did in leadership together, like you were a journalist, and there's a Beyond Magazine, and all these mm-hmm. things. How did you plant the first church? Just, uh, Diane, get us started. Mm-hmm. 
when we first went back to Kenya, we, with, well, it was the vision of my husband, I was kind of going along with it, started a magazine yes. with another gentleman. And, I mean, led that through in more of a, a professional context as editor and co-editor. I, I remember guess. well walking down the streets in Nairobi and that magazine was rare for sale right? with all the other magazines. Being sold, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Being sold on the streets. Mm-hmm. But when that was closed down by the government after three years because right. of some, okay, what would, could have been viewed as seditious, but it wasn't seditious. Seditious, we were just trying to get the truth out to people. Right. Right. Accountability. It was a time when freedom of the press was not very extensive. Um, then we felt God was saying it was time to start Dove, time, time to start the church Starting there the in church. Nairobi. I remember right. that day, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was 1989. That's correct. And then you started the first church, and that wasn't easy. Also, tell us how that started. The way the the way that I got into people's homes, okay. or the, the connection, that's the mm-hmm. word I was like, the sure. connection was through our children. Oh, got it. Because we lived in a like an estate or a place where there were a lot of houses in a line, um, and the children all played together in the front yard or on the streets or wherever they could find and so I would visit the homes of some of our children's friends. Our, they were boys at that time. And just go in and say, oh, your son is Biko, my son is Michael, I, they've been playing together, you know, <laughs> yeah, how yeah. are you today? And th- that was the, the connecting link that I had to talk to neighbors. Yeah, like so Bible we, studies, house fellowships. Yeah, we started inviting yeah. the neighbors into our home, and we had Bible studies, yes. We had um, a cup of tea is very important in sure the Kenyan culture, and started cell groups from there. You know, I can remember when you had the first Sunday morning service. And what I remember is we had a friend, John Bucket from Scotland, who was yes. there, and I was there, and some others were there. And I remember you used to, we made the decision, we're going to start a Sunday morning, actually become an actual church. Okay. I remember one of the brothers, one of the Kenyan brothers said, yeah, we're going to take an offering. He's running around taking an offering. It's like, we're a real church we're now. a real thing now. Yeah. And yeah. did you ever imagine in those days where you sit today, I mean, hundreds of churches throughout East Africa, you know, you've sent missionaries to India, you know, different parts of the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what God has done. Back in those days, have you ever imagined God could do this to your lives? No. no. <laughs> we didn't have a clue what, what, yeah. what we were getting into. Yeah, but you were faithful. See, you were faithful, and a real key for young leaders is don't quit. Right. And, I mean, you felt like quitting. I felt like quitting many times. All of us did, but you did not quit in those days. I really want our listeners to hear some leadership things you've learned from other realms of leadership you've given. Ibram, you've been a leader in your nation. You wrote a book, Changing a Nation, that's helped change your nation. You work with uh, the Anti-Corruption Committee. You've been involved. I mean, just sharing a few of the many things you've done. Uh, I mean, you've had a heart for unity in the body of Christ, and you led, you know, groups of bishops together. that They come together in unity for God to command blessing. Uh, and, and, and many, many, including helping rewrite the Constitution, you know. So what are some things you've... Tell us some of those stories. What are some things you've learned about leadership from... How do those doors open? Well, just back with the church, it's like... You know, you you walk in purity. You yeah, live a, you live according to That's the so word, important. and live a holy life. The main thing is prayer and yep. ask God. So even in training these leaders, we didn't people came to church. Yeah. Then we met on one on one and talk to them they were coming from different nations yes and uh, and i think that's so we didn't even at the point realize that these same people would be planting churches in their nations when right. they left yeah but that's really what happened it's we right. we did a church in Nairobi, but they did the rest so yes. it was like 
just pouring into their lives, believing in them, yes. make, telling them they can do it, yes. and trusting God to do that. Be a real spiritual father, spiritual mm, mother, yeah. expecting your spiritual children to go far ahead of you. Yeah, we were yes. planning a church in Nairobi at the time when Kenya was rediscovering it itself, herself. Yes. Yes. You, you know, what kind of a nation are we? Right. Are we democratic or not? Right. It was basically a one one party government, which means dictatorship. That's right. And our newspaper was on the same. So being involved. In national leadership was not something we planned to do, right. but it's something that we felt God leading us, leading me into because right. of the connections we had Correct. while doing Beyond Magazine. People right. knew us, people called us and asked us to do things with them. So we started National Days of Prayer. March for Jesus in the city of Nairobi, right. well, prophetic actions in different parts of the country. And in the process, I was asked to be the general secretary of the Evangelical Fellowship of Kenya. Now, the people who asked me to be the general secretary of Evangelical Fellowship of Kenya may not have had any clue why, who they were asking. Right. Because I was not uh, very excited about the government in place. I really would not... Uh, vote for that government because it was dictatorial. They were sure. killing people. There was people people having disappearing mysteriously. Um, right. So my assignment, I believe, from God was to get involved and pray from inside and see what God could do. Yes. So going to State House was exciting for the bishops that I took to meet the president, to pray with the president. Right. For me, it was more of an assignment. Mm -hmm. Can I be there and pray from there to see real change in mm -hmm. the nation of Kenya, mm -hmm. see real democracy, see breaking down of strongholds of dictatorship and mysterious murders and lack of transparency, right, lack of right, honesty and right. corruption. So I was fasting most of the times so I went to State House. And I spent most of the time in the, in the bathroom, in the toilet, uh, because I would flush it many times, but I would prophesy. Sometimes I would write prophetic words sure. in, in the toilet paper and flush it so that it would be speaking from under state house. And then I would praise those things loud. Sometimes I would write with oil on the wall and just doing some prayer activities mm. there. And there was one time I had to pray with my eyes open uh, when the president had closed his eyes and I was praying the last prayer and everybody was uh, asking me to pray the last prayer and I prayed right. a prayer that uh, I think God might have either closed his ears or it was just God's presence there. I was sorry because I prayed that he would step down mm. without bloodshed and, and, mm. and that there would be no, uh, that, that he would not stay in power longer than he needed to be. Right. And he said, Amen. And people didn't think, some people might have thought I would, wouldn't leave State House alive. But he said, let's go for pictures. <laughs> and I was standing right next to him after that prayer, wow. taking pictures at State House. Of course, I came out alive. And he stepped down from power. He asked for forgiveness yes. and actually was there to hand over power to the next leader. When mm. people thought there would be bloodshed in the nation of Kenya, Amazing. there wasn't. It was, yeah. It's amazing to me because I've never even met on a first-name basis any of our presidents. And president after president after president, God, he opened doors for you mm -hmm. to have that kind of relationship and trust 
that they had in you. It, it's just an amazing thing. Shows the favor of God that's on your life and your nation. It's amazing. Thank, thank you. Yeah. That really was a favor of God because I was not their party member. I was not agreeing with their policies. Right. But I saw my assignment for the nation yes. of Kenya. So Roki, the leadership, is intercession. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, mm -hmm. staying in that bathroom in the state house and mm -hmm. praying and prophesying. Mm -hmm. It's amazing stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, any other leadership insights that you want to give us, Diane, or anything you want to share that you learned about leadership during this whole season? Well, maybe looking back, probably, you mentioned, you asked, did, you, did we ever imagine yes. what would come? No. And my answer was no. No idea. And I think in leadership, it's very important to plan. It's very important to you know, write down, write the vision so that they yep. who run may read it. But there's a balance. I mean, we can do so much planning. We can do so many papers about the 10-year goal and the 20-year sure. goal or the five-year goal. We can do that. I'm not opposed to doing that. It's important. But really, it's more about hearing God day That's to day, right. moment by right. moment, following his steps. God, what are you saying? God, I'll obey today. God, what are you saying? God, I'll obey tomorrow. You know, many are the plans in, the, in man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. Yes, we need to plan. I'm not in any way, you know, criticizing sure. those who plan. That's right. But I think that we have found that much, I mean, if we, we could have had our most grandiose plans put on paper, but God far right. superseded them anyway. That's or right. when That's I say far right. superseded, we're talking about, you know, 300 plus churches in Dove Africa. We just wanted to hopefully plant one church. That was, right, you know, right. that was the goal. So our plans would have been, well, how to do this, to grow this church to this number. And yet God had so much more in store. Mm -hmm. And it's about following him day by day, yeah. step by step. Mm -hmm. Abraham, other thoughts? I, I just wanted to add that, Larry, you know, sometimes we pray and ask God for things, for like changing nations. Right. And, and, and we don't realize that God would be, using people and he would use us right. so when we we pray those kind of prayers and then have this opportunity to be at the constitution writing yeah. and it's an opportunity to put godly things that in that constitution amazing. and so that the preamble yeah. in kenya is 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 god you know god yeah. is creator of all <laughs> you know it's like you start from the preamble and then the gender the respect for the the con we we have no in Kenya constitution. We basically say life life begins from conception wow. to natural birth. So wow. no room for abortion, marriages between man and female. No room for homosexuality. Right. All these other issues. It is in the constitution, but we as Christians had to lead the way That's in the right. constitution writing right. because we prayed that God would do that and to change Kenya, and He allowed some of us to have those opportunities to be Beautiful. able to do that. Beautiful. So being ready to be used of God in those changes, okay, not praying and staying yeah, away, but yeah. praying and walking in and be part of the change. That's good. Walking in and being part of the change, praying and watch God open the doors so you can actually do that. Mm -hmm. Now, there's so many things you have your fingers in. There's so many ministries that you have. I know you're both accomplished writers between the two of you, literally dozens of books and I know some children's books and some all kinds of books. And you've, you've done that. Uh, also, what is Springs of Africa? I know you lead Springs of Africa. What is that? Yeah, Springs of Africa is registered in the United States as a nonprofit organization. But in Kenya, we and throughout Africa, we use that platform to support the, the church planting. So in our context in the developing world, um, 
and according to the Bible as well, sure, sure. that we shouldn't just say, go and be warm and well fed, but right. we need to take care of physical needs as well. Right. So Springs of Africa provides a means through which we can raise support and awareness for some of the more more practical physical needs, such as education, such as empowerment, financial empowerment through microfinance, such as environmental concerns so that farmers can raise the, you know, get sure. the most yield from sure. their crops in the most um, environmentally Makes friendly sense. way. God, God's plans for farming. So, yeah, pro, um, projects such as those that aren't directly church planting and yet support and go alongside the church planting efforts exactly. as we share the word of God. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and everyone listening today, if you want to know more about the Amandes or Ministry, Springs of Africa, and, you know, Dove Africa, all that, mm -hmm. it's all in the show notes. In fact, for Springs of Africa, it's, it's uh, springsofafrica.org, and it's all in the show notes. You can pick that up and, and check that out. Talk to me about a couple other real quick things, and I want to have you back, if you're willing. <laughs> I really, because We've only touched the surface on some of the leadership things that you've learned. But what is SACO? What does that mean? What's SACO? S-A-C-C-O. SACO stands for Savings and Credit Cooperative. S-A-C-O. Credit, yeah, savings and credit cooperative. And how's that? What is that? It's it's well, it's an acronym that's used in Kenya to represent like a small scale microfinance um, lending institution. Okay, and people all over the world give toward that, and is that how that works? Yes, people all over the world can give toward it, and we it started with some generous donations, mm -hmm. but it's also a self propagating um, organization in the sense that every member saves. It's a Got savings it. and credit cooperative. Beautiful. So savings is the first Beautiful. S. Every member saves and then is able to borrow money and pay it back, of course. And the 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 funds keep turning around, turning around yes, and help people. Local accountability. I mean, I love, I love oh, the yes. way it works. Yeah, it, we have to be fully registered. I've been in some meetings. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. But I really want you to take a few minutes yet and talk about a vision that's really deep in your hearts. Mm -hmm. And you guys oversee all these churches in Africa and work with the Dove International family. You serve on the international leadership team of the whole Dove International family worldwide. We've traveled to mm -hmm. nations together and you've gone to many, many nations, not just in Africa. But some years ago, Ibrahim, you got this vision for a prayer tower. And I know that's a, it really burns in your heart. It's something God's doing, and perhaps we can talk more about it in the future. But just give us a little feel of what that vision is and what that looks like now, what it's going to look like in the future. Larry, having lived in Africa and seen that God actually does respond to prayer, yes. I began to feel very strongly that prayer would probably be the key way to change Africa. Yes. And having a place where Christians, not just from Dove, but from the body of Christ, could do 24-7 prayer and worship. Yeah. A place like that, like an altar raised in Nairobi Beautiful. that connects Africa to God's presence 24-7. Mm. I believe that that would go a long way in breaking the strongholds that 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 have been in Africa right. and breaking the chains that have held Africa in poverty and sickness and disease and corruption. Mm. We need to do that spiritually if we're going to see it happen in sure. the real physical sense. And, and I've seen a lot of prayers answered, but I want to see a continuous prayer. And if we, if we have that 
24-7 prayer and worship going on until Jesus returns. Beautiful. I think revival will be happening from Africa yeah, to the rest of the world. Beautiful. I know you've got land for that, mm-hmm. and you're ready. It started that whole process. People mm-hmm. are praying ready, yeah. and we're looking forward in the future to see the entire center built in a way that's going to honor God. <laughs> 24-7, crying out to God, yeah. revival in Africa and beyond for mm-hmm. the glory of God. Sure. Yes. Amen. Great. Amen. Well, any last any last minute leadership insights that you have? And then we're going to close today. And I do want to have you back. <laughs> really do. And by the way, anyone listening, if you want to know more about the prayer tower, more about that, dubafricacenter.org. Uh, again, show notes, give all this stuff, and, and uh, we'll make sure that we've got a lot of information on there to point you the right direction if you want to connect with Ibram and Diana Monday. Either of you, anything else you want to share yet about leadership? And well, I just wanted to say that partnership has been key for us. Beautiful. And none of these things that we're doing for the kingdom, that any of us does for the kingdom, really, can be done on our own. True. We need to join hands across the, whatever they say, across the aisles or across, you know, whatever barriers that might beautiful, be there beautiful. across denominations mm-hmm. and really work together for the kingdom. That is so key. Partnership, partnership, partnership. If you haven't heard that, that's a key to leadership. Good leaders always learn how to partner together with others who have the same heart mm. because, you know, it's, we just need more than just us focusing right. on a vision. Right. And somebody else brings something that we don't have, and then we can give something that they don't have. And that's why in the body of Christ we've got to work together. That's why yeah. ministries need to work together. That's, I mean, that's what Jesus is calling, John 17, calling us to that kind of unity. And he says in Psalm 133, when brothers dwell in unity, obviously sisters... God yes. commands a blessing. Ibram mm-hmm. and Diane, thank you so much for joining yes. me today. This is so exciting. Mm-hmm. I know you've got all these other stories in your heart saying, I'm going to have you back. There's much more we're going to talk about uh, in, in the future. But thank you so much for joining me for this leadership podcast. It's been a privilege. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. It was wonderful. It was yeah. wonderful having you. And I love, love your stories. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the Larry Cry Leadership Podcast, we try to focus on just some things we can change, even small things we can change that'll make a massive difference in our lives and the lives of those that we serve and lead in the future. So God bless you all. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to you much more, learning much more about leadership together from leaders in many nations of the world. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. If you want more information about any of Larry's books, daily devotionals, small group resources, or any other teachings, go to LarryKreider.com.